The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces and veterans who are joining us today over the Internet, and also listeners who are tuning in on new radio affiliates in Washington, California, New Hampshire, Florida, and Illinois. Thank you for being with us today. In just a moment, one of our nation's most esteemed legal scholars and close friend of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr. Alan Dershowitz, will be joining us to talk about the nuclear agreement with Iran and what it means to the United States, Israel, and greater instability in the Middle East. But before Mr. Dershowitz joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Alan Morton Dershowitz was born in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and is a graduate of Brooklyn College and Yale Law School. After being admitted to the bar, he clerked for U.S. Court of Appeals judge for the District of Columbia, David Bazelon, and Supreme Court Associate Justice Arthur Goldberg. In 1964, Dershowitz joined the faculty of Harvard Law School, and in three short years, he became the youngest full professor in the school's history. While Dershowitz may be known for his high-profile criminal cases, such as waging the defenses for Klaus Van Bulow, Patricia Hearst, Mike Tyson, Jim Baker, Leona Helmsley, O.J. Simpson, and Michael Milken, he is also inarguably one of our country's most knowledgeable scholars when it comes to constitutional law and foreign policy. In addition to being a prolific author, Mr. Dershowitz has been the recipient of numerous awards, including the William O. Douglas First Amendment Award, the Soviet Jewry Freedom Award, the Menachem Begin Award of Honor, the Guggenheim Fellowship Award, and countless others. Dershowitz's achievements would take up much of today's program. So at the risk of doing a legal legend a great injustice, let me just welcome back to the Costa Report, Mr. Alan Dershowitz. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Dershowitz. Thank you. Injustice, my God. You certainly gave me a lot of praise and background. I didn't even recognize myself as a kid from Brooklyn who almost flunked out of high school. But uh, once I got to college and law school, I did well. Uh, Well, I would say did well is the understatement of the year. Uh, First, let me congratulate you on your new book, The Case Against the Iran Deal. Now, in this book, you walk us through the administration's negotiations with Iran, which you feel have led to a choice between, uh, I I believe you use the words bad and worse. So I thought maybe we could just start there. Is it the negotiations which have led to this tough choice or the fact that in spite of economic sanctions, Iran has persisted in its enrichment programs? No, I think it's the negotiations. I think in the beginning of his presidency, President Obama kept the military option on the table. He essentially said to Iran, look, you're never going to develop nuclear weapons. We won't let you. We will stop you from doing it if you try. We have red lines, and if you cross them, there will be consequences. But then after he was reelected, and particularly after the midterms, when the negotiations really got underway, the president took the military option off the table. And according to Tom Friedman, who actually supports the deal, the president allowed the Iranians to negotiate with us as equals. And we ended up playing checkers with the people who invented chess, the Persians. And I'm afraid that their ayatollahs uh, checkmated our president and produced a situation where the option was accepting a bad deal, which allows Iran to develop nuclear weapons after about 10 years and allows them to cheat and hide their cheating for 24 days. So either accept that bad deal or, as the president said, reject it and maybe things would be even worse because the sanction regime would be over, the military options off the table, and Iran might move even more quickly to develop nuclear weapons. That's not the kind of choice 
that a great leader would present to his people. Well, recently, President Obama has gone so far as to say it's the agreement or war. Well, I don't think so. Um, it may be, you know, they said that to Winston Churchill back in uh, 1938 when Chamberlain went and negotiated. He said it's either diplomacy, uh, giving up Czechoslovakia, or war. And Churchill responded by saying, you've lost our honor to prevent us from going to war and now you will have both the loss of honor and the war. And he was right. And I think this deal actually makes it more likely that there will be a war. Because you cannot expect Israel, which has been threatened repeatedly with complete destruction by Iran, to sit back and allow Iran to develop nuclear weapons. Remember that the former president of Iran, Rafsanjani, who was supposed to be a moderate, once said that if Iran develops a nuclear weapon and drops it on Tel Aviv, it will kill three to five million Israelis and end Israel because Israel is a one-bomb state. One bomb will end it. Then Israel will retaliate and will kill 15 to 20 million Muslims in Tehran, but, he said, the trade-off would be worth it. When you have an apocalyptic leader like that threatening the destruction of the Jewish people once again, Prime Minister Netanyahu or his successors are not going to stand idly by and allow that to happen. So I think this deal actually makes war more likely rather than less likely. Mm -hmm. Now, many opponents of the current agreement say that the fact that the Iranians came to the negotiating table proves that these economic sanctions were working. Um, Do you agree with that? I do. I think the economic sanctions coupled with the threat of military action uh, really led them to conclude as follows. Look, we're never going to get nuclear weapons. The Americans are not going to let us do it. The Israelis are not going to let us do it. So why should we have to suffer under these crippling sanctions? Let's come to the negotiating table. And then when they get to the negotiating table, they're essentially told, hmm, there's nothing you have to worry about. There's no military option. So now you have a chance to get a better deal. And they required President Obama to cross several of his own red lines. The president said that he would never accept a deal unless there were 24-7 immediate inspection. We now learn that there's 24 days before we get to inspect certain places and that the Iranians themselves will participate in these inspections. And we don't even know what other side deals there may be with the atomic energy people who are doing the inspections. So that's one red line that was crossed. The other one was the president said we will never ever allow Iran to develop nuclear weapons. And now he says, well, maybe it's 10 years or 12 years, but after the deal is over, there's nothing in the deal that stops Iran from developing nuclear weapons. So, you know, I think it was a bad negotiation resulting in a bad deal. But in my book, The Case Against the Iran Deal, I propose a third alternative. And the president says over and over again, there are no alternatives. It's either this deal or war. Well, I have a third alternative. And I present that in the conclusion to my book, and that is the Iran deal has in its preface, not in the binding part of the deal, but in the preface to the deal, it says, Iran reaffirms that Iran will never under any circumstances seek to develop or obtain nuclear weapons. Why don't we hold them to that? Why don't we have Congress, if it's going to accept the deal, have a statute that says, we take you at your word, Iran, That is part of the deal. We regard that as binding. And if you break that deal, we authorize the president to do whatever is necessary to make you keep your part of the bargain, to make you assure us that you will never, under any circumstances, seek to obtain nuclear weapons. I think that's an agreement we could live with. The current agreement is not one I think we can live with. Well, which brings me to, uh, I think, a larger issue. You know, I'm going to have trouble with all the secrecy. Yeah. Yeah. We're buying a pig and a poke, and we don't even know what we don't know. Just in the last two days, we heard first a report that the deal allows Iran to do self-inspection. Nobody would ever allow an athlete to decide when to produce his blood or his urine or his spit or something like that. You always monitor that uh, if he's being tested for drugs. So we hear that the Iranians will participate in their own uh, inspection. Then we hear today, no... It's a joint operation. There'll be some people from the Atomic Energy Commission, maybe some people from Iran. We don't know because it's a side deal. The president has said he hasn't seen the deal. The secretary of state says he hasn't seen the deal. And yet Congress is being asked to affirm this deal without itself seeing it. And the, the, the law that was passed giving Congress the power to do that specifically said that Congress must be given access to every part of the deal. 
secret parts, classified parts, every other part. And right. we're not getting that. Right. And uh, every day we learn more, which is even disturbing me. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just disturbed at how the revelations are coming out day after day. And we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about why the agreement is likely to bring more instability to the Middle East. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines? The best place is your computer and go to CaracccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door. And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, (laughs) I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party. And it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea. Or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason. It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs. And the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which after the first few chapters you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com. And remember, The Watchman's Rattle. Are things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that, too. While you're at it, pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350. Get connected with one of California's most exciting business communities every Saturday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. on Think Local First Radio. Join local business people as they host local business people for a conversation about doing business and staying in business in Santa Cruz County. Join me, Michael Olson, Saturday 2 to 3 as Think Local First Radio host Gary Baskow from Staff of Life Natural Foods Market for the story of organic food in Santa Cruz. That's Think Local First Radio, Saturday 2 to 3, right here on KSEO. Think Local First Radio is brought to you by Sock Shop and Shoe Company at 1515 Pacific in downtown Santa Cruz. The first thing they look at is shoes. And if they see you in shoes and socks from Sock Shop and Shoe Company, they will look up to you. And also buy Staff of Life Natural Foods Market at 1266 Soquel Avenue in Santa Cruz. Think Local First and eat local first by shopping a genuine Santa Cruz tradition. The original Staff of Life Natural Foods Market. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Alan Dershowitz, who has a riveting new ebook out called The Case Against the Iran Deal. Anyone who is interested in getting to the bottom of how we reach this point 
on this deal where it's either the deal or war, according to the president, uh, has got to pick this book up. I, I made the mistake of picking it up late at night. Don't do that. <laughs> you, you won't be able to put it down. So don't start reading at nine o'clock at night. I want to warn all our listeners. Now, you were proposing that uh, one alternative is to make the preamble to the current agreement. We'll make that law. Uh, but what if the president vetoed that? Would this uh, in any way, I have to ask you this legal question, would this nullify the agreement since it's in the preamble? Well, I've actually spoken to a number of Democratic senators, some of whom are going to vote for the agreement, but they agree with my proposal. And they would not vote to um, allow, I mean, they would vote to override a presidential veto if he would have vetoed. I don't think the president would veto this because it's in the agreement itself. And he himself has said, that he wants to keep some military option on the table. So all we're doing is giving the president what he has already publicly said he agrees to. So I think this would really put him in a, in a spot if he vetoed it. And if he vetoed it, I think his veto would be overridden, whereas there's real question about whether his veto of the actual law as it's now written will be overridden. That's a much harder question. So you keep hearing this argument of we don't have anything to lose by going into an agreement because if it doesn't work, well, then we go back to the sanctions again and potential military force. And there's nothing in the agreement that says, hey, if you don't break, if you break the agreement, we're going to go back to that. Well, there's no way of going back to the sanction regime at this point. If anybody thinks that China and Russia and France are going to snap back their sanctions. They're already all over Tehran trying to do business deals. The Russians are agreeing at this point to send them uh, ground-to-air missiles, which would make it much harder to attack. They're going to get $150 billion or more, uh, and they'll use that to strengthen uh, their nuclear program, to harden the facilities, make them much more difficult to attack over the years. And so I think they're, uh, for them, it's a win-win. They have gotten their sanctions relieved. They've gotten the military option taken off the table. And all they've done is at most postponed when they can get nuclear weapons a few years, and maybe not even that. Because remember, too, that we're going to have a hard time inspecting any new facilities that we're not aware of. And every few years we learn of new nuclear facilities buried underground that we haven't found yet. We find them as the result of dissident groups uh, in Iran itself. The MEK, for example, is a dissident group that helped us find one facility that they were trying desperately to hide. And for all we know, they're hiding other facilities. And if we do find a new facility, they have 24 hours to move everything, 24 days, I'm sorry, 24 days to move everything around. You know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and I'm used to defending people, some of whom are guilty, some of whom are innocent. If I have an innocent client and the police come to his house and say, we want to search you for drugs, I say, if he's innocent, do it right now. Don't even wait a minute. I I don't want anybody to suspect that maybe he's hiding something. But if you have somebody who's guilty, you know, you really want time, you want delay. We'd like and 24 think, days. Oh, boy. I, I think, you know, the Iranians, why would they... <laughs> if you're guilty, 24 days, days is an eternity to, to, oh, to take course, care of, of business. Course, of course. And the other argument we hear over and over again, well, the sanctions, it's really their money. We're just giving it back to them. No, I mean, you know, if you seize an enormous amount of drugs and some cash from a drug dealer, you don't give him back the drugs. You don't give him back the cash because you know that that was money that was used for improper purposes. And we know that this many, many billions of dollars that they'll be getting will be used to export terrorism, to arm Hezbollah, which has already killed hundreds of Americans. And Iran, through its surrogates, have killed approximately a thousand Americans. We're just going to give them more money to kill Americans. We're also going to give them more money to engage in their genocidal plans against Israel. And we're signatories to an anti-genocide treaty that says we can't encourage or help genocide. We also have a statute on our books that says that any material aid to terrorist groups is a crime. And now the United States is giving material aid to what we already have acknowledged is the greatest exporter of terrorism in the world, namely Iran. That makes us complicit in their terrorism. If they would carry out a terrorist act killing a dozen Americans that they would otherwise not have had the resources to carry out because we're giving them the money to do it, imagine how that would make us all feel. 
Well, uh, speaking of exporting terrorism, there was a very disturbing report last week that one of the top terrorists in Iran, Soleimani, defied his United Nations ban on traveling outside of Iran and flew to Russia to meet with the Russian Minister of Defense and Putin. Now, we're right in the middle of this nuclear agreement when Soleimani meets with Putin. So uh, what do you make of that? Well, you know, we just don't know. Again, we don't know. Also, today's report that Iranian weapons were used uh, by the Syrians. We know that the Iranians are supporting the Syrians mm-hmm. to uh, send rockets into Israel. Uh, while the negotiations are going on, they're thumbing their nose at us. They're making statements that, again, America is the great Satan and don't expect American uh, relations to improve. Um, we're still going to destroy Israel, we're still going to take over Lebanon, we're still going to take over Yemen, we're going to take over Syria. This is a country that simply has the most uh, aggressive uh, um, uh, motives and, and intentions, and we're just helping them do it. And look what happens now. The Palestinian Authority, which was opposed to Iran, uh, has now decided to go to Tehran and try to make cozy with the Iranians because... In the Middle East, it's power that's respected. And this deal gives the Iranians power, and it shows that the United States is a paper tiger. And that's the way it's being perceived in the Middle East. That's why we're seeing the Emirates. We're seeing the Palestinian Authority. We will soon, I think, see the Jordanians and others cozy up to the Iranians because they know where the center of power is, and they don't believe it's any longer in the United States. Well, we seem to be broadcasting it isn't any longer in the United Mm -hmm. States through our actions. On the other hand, if Iran complies with the agreement and closes the enrichment facilities that we're aware of, as you point out, they can, you know, there are probably many that we haven't identified to date, um, the sanctions will be lifted. So uh, they could effectively buy arms from the nuclear uh, capability from Russia and North Korea whose economies have been devastated by economic sanctions. And they need customers, they need money, and Iran will have money. Yes, we already know that North Korea sold uh, a nuclear reactor to make bombs to Syria. Israel uh, took care of that in in one hour. Uh, This would be much more complicated, obviously. But we know that they're capable of buying the material from North Korea. I don't think Russia would today sell nuclear weapons to Iran because I think they'd be worried. They have their own Iranian, uh, they have their own, I'm sorry, Muslim problem uh, with the Chechens. And the last thing they would want, I think, is to see an Iranian nuclear bomb handed over to uh, Russia's enemies. Of course, that could happen to us as well. It could be handed over. You know, it doesn't have to be a bomb you drop from a plane. It could be a dirty bomb that you could put in a suitcase that could be dropped off in any United States uh, seaport. So uh, the idea that Iran would have the capability of manufacturing nuclear weapons is just uh, a game changer, to quote the president. President Obama called it a game changer, and now he's allowing the game to be changed in in 10 years. Yes. Well, we have to take another short break. When we return, we'll talk about uh, some of the other solutions Mr. Dershowitz lays out in his new book, The Case Against the Iran Deal. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. 
Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for fresh, healthy, organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your fresh healthy vending machines we've already identified prime high traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help fresh healthy vending continue to boom if this sounds like you go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 8585 we'll send you a free owner information kit as an added bonus to new franchise owners we'll also pay half the franchise fees hurry this offer is limited just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 8585 that's readyforfresh.com code 8585 The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. RV owners, RV service will match your insurance deductible with a service voucher of equal value. It's like you pay nothing. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com. Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit Hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, how to find funding for your retirement, how the heck do you enroll to use health insurance, No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. to work on your Money Moves. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Alan Dershowitz. Um, Iran has been removed from the U.S. terror watch list. Uh, Mr. Dershowitz, so apparently uh, we no longer consider Iran a terrorist threat, and this change in relationship with Iran seems to go much deeper than the, uh, the nuclear agreement. Well, I think that's right. And anybody who thinks that Iran is not a terrorist threat is blinking reality. It's absurd. We know that they provide uh, weapons and ammunition to terrorist groups. Um, Israel found a boat uh, loaded with uh, weapons headed for terrorist groups and boarded the boat. And there were markings on the boat. The boat came from Iran. And uh, there's no doubt about that. It had their fingerprints all over the place. Uh, the irony is the United States has taken Iran off the terrorist list. Well, for years they kept a group that was a dissident within Iran on the terrorist group. Um, so, you know, our, our, our determination of who's a terrorist and who's not often has much more to do with our uh, foreign policy than actual facts relating to what group is terroristic. I think all Americans have to understand that Iran is the greatest exporter of terrorism in the world. By the way, the president of the United States has said that, the current president. So the idea that they're not going to be regarded as a terrorist group is is absurd. So let me ask you what I think is the million-dollar question. Do we really have the ability to stop Iran or any other country, for that matter, 
from getting nuclear weapons. I mean, we didn't stop North Korea or Pakistan. I mean, what makes us think that we have the capability to stop any nation that's determined to go that route? Mm -hmm. Well, Iraq was determined to go that route, and they were stopped. Uh, Syria was determined to go that route, and they were stopped. Libya was determined to go that route, and they were stopped. Uh, South Africa gave up its nuclear program when uh, things changed. So, yes, I think we can uh, prevent countries from developing nuclear weapons. Uh, The reason that the North Koreans got uh, nuclear weapons is because we made the same kind of deal with them that we're now making with Iran. In fact, in my book, I juxtapose in a chart what President Clinton said when he announced the deal with North Korea with what President Obama said when he announced the deal with um, Iran. And they're identical statements. It was frightening. I have to tell you, when I got to that passage, I was frightened. They almost, it it, it was just paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. And look how (laughs) bad it turned out with North Korea. And everybody that I know believes that it will turn out as badly with Iran, the big difference is how long it will take. Will they have eight years? Will they have 10, 12, 15 before they can spin the centrifuges again and become a threshold nuclear nation? And when will they actually have the bombs? Now, while this deal is going on, they have the ability to develop the rockets that can uh, reach the shores of the United States. They have the ability to develop nuclear triggers, which don't necessarily use nuclear material. So they're getting ready. They're gearing up as soon as the centrifuges can spin again and help them develop enough material to develop nuclear weapons, they'll be allowed to do it. And that's why this deal is so dangerous, because we don't know what its end goal is. I wish the President of the United States would tell us once and for all, is this a 10-year postponement, or is it a deal that is designed to prevent Iran from ever developing nuclear weapons? If it was designed to prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons, I would support it. And if it had teeth in it, that could actually bring about that result. But if it's a 10-year postponement, and in exchange for that, we're giving up our sanctions, our military option, and our other ways of stopping them from doing it. For example, we were effective in using sabotage and espionage. And this deal now in an annex says that the P5 plus one will cooperate with Iran in helping them protect their nuclear program from sabotage and espionage. Are we hurting our ability to stop their nuclear program as we have in the past? So I think we can stop it, and I think we're giving up that option. But in many of the cases that you suggest where we have been successful, uh, we have not taken the military option off the table, or we've used it. That's right. We used it clearly against uh, Libya, and that turned them around. Israel used it against Syria. That turned them around. Israel used it against Iraq. That turned them around. Can you imagine if Israel hadn't bombed Assad's uh, nuclear reactor several years ago? Assad, this butcher, who is now dropping barrels of chlorine and other illegal weapons on citizens, kids, children in his own country, would now have a nuclear weapon that he could be dropping on his citizens in order to try to keep himself in power. Imagine what would have happened if Iraq hadn't had their nuclear reactor destroyed by Israel. When the United States went in to stop Iraq from going into Kuwait, we would never have been able to do that if they had a nuclear weapon. So, you know, military action to stop countries from developing nuclear weapons has proved to be quite successful. I'm not opting at this point for a military attack on Iran. That's the next to the last resort. I say next to the last resort because the last thing is allowing Iran to develop nuclear weapons. The next worst thing would be a military attack, but it wouldn't be as bad as allowing Iran to develop nuclear weapons. Well, let's talk about sanctions for just a second here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all know that sanctions uh, affect the general population. They suffer from shortages in food, medical supplies. Mm -hmm. In North Korea, they had record numbers uh, of citizens starving. Mm-hmm. children, civilian families. Um, we can't, I think in this country, we treat economic sanctions um, almost antiseptically, as though, you know, it's, it's a really good uh, a, a diplomatic tool to use. Uh, but we don't realize that we may not be bombing people, you know, with chemical weapons, but we're certainly responsible through economic sanctions of uh, great distress um, to the that. person on the street. And yeah. I, I sometimes feel we're a little bit callous to that. 
I agree. I think it is a form of collective punishment, and we do uh, use it. Uh, the reason North Koreans are starving, by the way, is not alone because of the sanctions, because of the way their government allocates their resources. Uh, they build more and more and more and more military, uh, even though nobody is threatening them, nobody is trying to attack them, and they deprive their people of the resources necessary. The same thing, Hamas is now subject to sanctions, but when they were given uh, material, what did they do? They didn't build schools with them, they built terror tunnels with them. Yes. Um, and they used it to develop rockets. So, it's the priorities. And the same thing is true with Iran today. Iran could survive uh, with the sanctions and could allow its people to have decent lives if they didn't spend so much money uh, supporting Hezbollah, so much money supporting Hamas, so much money exporting terrorism. So it's their decision that's starving their people. Uh, the sanctions obviously uh, relate to it, but whenever you have warfare, the people suffer inevitably. Uh, look at what happened during the Second World War when people starved and there were bombings of cities. Uh, that's what's so terrible about war. But what would be even worse would be Iran developing nuclear weapons and using it in the way they've already threatened to use it to destroy the great Satan, America, and the small Satan, Israel, and to try to drop a bomb on Tel Aviv, uh, they've described Israel as a one-bomb state. One bomb would end the existence of Israel, which is why Benjamin Netanyahu, who I've known now for 42 years, I met him in 1973, yes. uh, he's not going to sit back and allow Iran to keep its promise of destroying Israel. He's not going to allow a second Holocaust to kill 6 million, the 6 million Jews who now live in Israel. And, you know, you wonder why the Palestinians are being supportive of Iran. A nuclear bomb that hits Israel is going to kill Palestinians and Jews alike. Uh, it's not going to distinguish based on religion or ethnicity. Uh, Jerusalem is a mixed city. Uh, Tel Aviv is right near Jaffa, which is an Arab city. So there's no such thing as a smart atomic bomb. Atomic bombs are as dumb as they get. You drop them, they kill everybody. And that's why Palestinians and Israelis and Jordanians and Egyptians should be united in an effort to try to prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons. Well, you're absolutely right. They should be united. There's no discrimination here when a bomb goes off. Uh, and uh, maybe they'll be thinking about that uh, as time marches forward and Iran gets closer to that capability. We have to take our final break, but we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle. Do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com. Find out why scientists, government leaders, and the heads of the largest corporations in America are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior. That's The Watchman's Rattle 
at RebeccaCosta.com, a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and experts everywhere are calling a must-read. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available at bookstores everywhere and online at RebeccaCosta.com. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. If you're one of the hundreds of millions of Americans who's gotten a prescription this year, you probably noticed that the text was illegible, and not because of the doctor's calligraphy. Even typewritten scripts are impossible to understand. That's because they're written in Latin. Does your doctor or your pharmacist speak Latin? Probably not. So what could possibly be the purpose of writing instructions and details of something as important, potent, and possibly dangerous in an ancient language that is not only arcane and incomprehensible, but hasn't even been spoken commonly in 2,000 years? A prescription is a critical component of the therapeutic process, as well as the physician-patient relationship, and its potential to help or harm makes it one of the most significant of all written communications. At the end of the day, each step of the medical process is supposed to benefit the patient. Pharmaceuticals are powerful chemicals, and their correct use is of the utmost importance. Because most physicians aren't going to be writing scripts in clear, concise English anytime soon, your best bet when you get one from your doctor is to ask them to go over the drug dosage and directions with you, making sure the handwriting is legible. And when you pick up your medication from your pharmacy, look carefully at the bottle to confirm that the information on the label matches up with what you were prescribed. Open the bottle and check your meds for accuracy, and always make sure you understand the directions and possible side effects. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool video too at kscohealth.com that's kscohealth.com welcome back to the costa report I'm Rebecca Costa, and today my guest is one of our country's greatest legal scholars, Alan Dershowitz, whose new book, The Case Against the Iran Deal, is a must-read for anyone who wants to understand the nuclear agreement, which is currently under consideration. Now, the latest reports from the Associated Press indicate that the nuclear agreement with Iran is likely to survive Capitol Hill. So let's assume that's the case for just a moment. From a legal standpoint... Is it possible to challenge the agreement in Supreme Court from the perspective that it was really a treaty and not an agreement or resolution, and it should have been subject to the laws governing the approval of a treaty? Is there some legal recourse? Well, yes, there is, but I think it would be unlikely to succeed. I think uh, Senator Tom Cotton would have uh, standing to bring a suit. He uh, voted against the, the law because he said that this is a treaty and that Congress can't abrogate its responsibility under the Constitution. Look, if you had Alexander Hamilton and James Madison here, they would tell you this was a treaty. Um, A treaty was defined at the time the Constitution was enacted as an agreement of uh, long duration with multiple parties that is not just a one-shot affair. Um, And um, originally in the Articles of Confederation, only the Senate could uh, uh, sign a treaty. And then uh, Hamilton said in the Federalist Paper number 69, no, it should require agreement by both the legislative and the executive branch, and it shouldn't be easy to do. You should need two-thirds of the Senate. And when, when former Senator John Kerry, now Secretary of State, testified, he was asked, why is it not a treaty? And his basic answer was, because if we submitted it as a treaty, it wouldn't get passed. Well, you know, that's what the Constitution is all about. It wasn't designed to make things easy. Uh, here you have a situation where the vast majority of Americans are opposed to this deal. Uh, the vast majority of the Senate is opposed to it. The vast majority of the House is opposed to it. And yet it will probably get through because all the president needs is one-third plus one of one of the two houses of Congress. That's not the way democracy is supposed to operate. But I'm afraid that the Supreme Court would say it's a political question. 
that should be decided between the executive and legislative branches, and the judiciary should stay out of it. I don't agree with that. I think this is a perfect case for the judiciary to get involved in because we have a, 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 a government of three branches, three co-equal branches. And when the legislature and the executive disagree as to whether or not something is a treaty, it should be decided by the Supreme Court of the United States. I agree with you 100 uh, percent, and I'd like to see you argue that. I'd love to. Who, 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 better, who better than you, one of our premier constitutional scholars in the United States, to take this? Because if someone doesn't deal with the real issue, then doesn't this open the door for every president from here on to call any agreement a resolution or an agreement? And why would anybody in their right mind ever call anything a treaty again? Right. Or even call it a legislative executive agreement. There's a third concept. There are many things that are not treaties, but they have to be approved by a majority of the legislature. At the very least, there should be that. Uh, but generally, when we make strategic arms limitation uh, agreements, we do them by treaty. And I think this should have been done by treaty. And the president should have had to work very hard to get two-thirds of the Senate. Um, and if he couldn't get two-thirds of the Senate, it's because in the last midterm election, the mandate went to the Republicans, not the Democrats. Now, the good thing about this not being a treaty is it has no binding effect. It is not the law of the United States. Any president can rescind it without giving any reasons whatsoever, without a vote of Congress, because if it's a presidential agreement, what one president can give, the other can take away. What one can take away, the other can give. That's why we generally like to have treaties, because treaties are binding. They're law. Everybody is bound by a treaty. It has the force of law. But this agreement has no force beyond the signature of the president. Yes, I, I understand that, you know, another president could decide that this was not a good idea and, uh, and rescind it. But on the other hand, I, I, I worry about opening up the door to redefine things for the purpose of um, expediency and convenience. I I really think that this sets the wrong message to future presidents that when you want to get something through, you know, call it something other than a treaty because the bar is set lower. Right. And especially to have an agreement with a foreign country that has a majority of the Senate opposed to it, a majority of the House opposed to it, and a vast majority of Americans opposed to it, that's a very, very odd use of democratic principles. I mean, democratic with a small d. And this should not be a partisan issue. And I've been urging all the senators I've spoken to, and I've spoken to a number of them and Congress people, saying, please don't vote your party on this one. Vote your principles. And, uh, you know, the New York Times had a terrible, terrible editorial, irresponsible editorial, saying that no member of Congress should listen to a foreign leader rather than his commander-in-chief. Well, first of all, let's be clear. The president is not your commander-in-chief. He's not my commander-in-chief. He's not the commander-in-chief of Congress or the House of Representatives or the Senate. He is the commander-in-chief only of the armed forces of the United States. Congress has an obligation not to be commanded by the president. The president can't command the Senate what to vote for. And uh, as far as foreign leaders are concerned, we listened to Churchill, and that was a smart thing. We listened to uh, the, the, the people who, many of us listened to the people who were opposed to the Vietnam War and to the war in Iraq, and it would have been better if we had listened to them. And the president knows how to use foreign leaders. He sent David Cameron, the prime minister of, of, of England, into the House and the Senate to have, them, have him make calls urging them to support the deal. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that it's okay for uh, the president to use foreign leaders to get one result, but it's not okay to listen to foreign leaders on the other side. And this idea that somehow we're being disloyal to our commander-in-chief, if we disagree with him by that standard, President Obama was disloyal. He voted against the war in Iraq when the president of the United States, the quote, commander-in-chief, was in favor of it. And he did the right thing by voting against the war in Iraq, as did I 
uh, in coming out against the war in Iraq, and I think I'm doing the right thing by standing up strong as a loyal American, as a Democrat, as a supporter of Barack Obama, in opposing this one deal. This is not a good deal for America. It's not a good deal for peace. It's not a good deal for the prevention of terrorism. It's not a good deal for anti-nuclear proliferation. It's just not a good deal, and we ought to strongly oppose it and get a better deal. Well, on that note, we are just about out of time. Where can listeners go today to get more information on the case against the Iran deal? Well, the best thing is probably, the easiest thing is probably to go on Kindle or Amazon, Mm -hmm. and you can, by a press of the button, order the book. The Kindle edition is very inexpensive, and it's a very quick read, and the paperback is inexpensive, too, and it's a a fast read. It's only a couple hundred pages, and it has in it the deal itself with annotations, so you can read it and see for yourself and make your own judgment. I wonder how many senators and congressmen have actually read the deal from beginning to end. Well, I know a lot of them listen to this program, so I hope they will, t- they will take that suggestion. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have. But before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for taking time to help us better understand what's at stake and what the alternatives are. Thank you, Mr. Dershowitz. Thank you so much. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Alan Dershowitz today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Are you in favor of the agreement with Iran or against it? And if you are in favor, did you hear anything from Dershowitz today that may have given you pause? Uh, And if you happen to miss the full interview with Mr. Dershowitz, uh, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and the YouTube channel. So if you ever miss any part of a live broadcast, which I hope you won't, you can go to RebeccaCosta.com and catch the rest of the interview. I, I received an email from a fellow yesterday who said he sat in his driveway of his house for 20 minutes because he wanted to listen to the end of the show. And his wife came out and tapped on the car window and said, What in the world are you doing? So just in case you're somewhere where you can't catch the entire broadcast, remember you can go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's my name.com, and grab the rest of the show. And while you're there at the website, let me also remind you to pick up your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. That's how we keep interviews like the one you heard today on the air. We're beholding to no giant media consortium or corporate interests. 100% of our funding comes from book sales. So act quickly and get a copy of the watchman's rattle now you're going to want to mark your calendars to tune in next week because one out of 10 listeners are going to be diagnosed with what the medical community considers a rare disease and it takes up to three five eight years to diagnose rare diseases next week we're going to find out how one of the most talked about san francisco startups crowdmed has cut that time of diagnosis to less than three months. Don't miss founder of CrowdMed, Jared Heyman, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 